Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Nearshore Jig Fishing for Amberjacks. I'm going to be talking with Captain Tony Stoll of Fin Finders, out, fin Finders Charters out of Swansboro. We're going to be talking about time of year, water temperature, slow pitch jigs, fast pitch, fast pitch jigs, and topwaters. Um, my name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post podcast series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I'm joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, this isn't weekly fishing reports. This is now a podcast. This is now a feature length presentation. I'm excited, Gary. I'm excited to get down to the nitty gritty. You know, I've been smashing flounder all month, so I'm excited. You probably see all the flounder residue on my face, my hands. I do. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Thank so you for my that. My tummy's full. No, at the time of this recording, I'm not, but it will. By the time this recording goes out, they'll, my new nickname will be Flounder Pounder. Or flounder so, Pounder. Yeah. I like it. It's catchy. It rhymes. If I keep making these bad jokes, Gary, we're going to lose all of our sponsorships. You know that, right? You're going to, I'm going to lose my job. You're making all the bad jokes. What am I going to do? I'm the straight man now? Jesus, I don't know if I'm, com I'm comfortable there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm going to talk about our sponsors. I'm talking about something that's actually good for the show besides you and I. I mean, you're pretty good for the show, Gary, but I'm, I'm a little bit dead weight here lately. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to move on. <laughs> I just had to recover a little bit from the bad jokes. So anyway, let's talk about our sponsors. We want to give a shout out to uh, Marine Warehouse Center, the longest sponsor running. Get a quick message from those guys, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. There you go, man. There you go, Gary. Guys will get you out on the water. They will, man. I mean, even here in the fall. You got decisions ahead of you. You know, it's funny. All summer you complain about the heat, you complain about the boat traffic, and then the fall comes and too many people put up their boat. Man, Marine Warehouse Center is here to keep you on the water in September and October and well into the fall, well into the calendar year in our beautiful North Carolina, you know, climate. So let them, let them do it. And the other thing that I do, you know, this time of year is start putting together my laundry list of things I want them to address over the winter. When I finally say, you know what, I could use a little boat downtime. Let me put it in Marine Warehouse Center and give them a little laundry list because every year I want to love my boat. I don't want to put up with mm -hmm. a few things that have stopped working quite right. And Marine Warehouse Center serves that role for the Gary Hurley's fish post boat. You have them do like customizations, like, like new speaker system, like bass, like LED lights that go on the no. inside, stuff like that. Yeah. The yeah. I say, Hey man, give me some sexy lighting, you know, to put my <laughs> wife in the mood when we do our booze cruises, man. Uh, yes, um, I no, mean, I say, like Hey, my, idea. my plugin for the spotlight isn't, 
isn't giving it juice anymore. I need to replace the plug-in for my, you know, my spotlight, my floodlight. You know, my, my boat sits at the dock. And the, and the sexy lighting. And my, I mean, my boat sits at the dock lighting. all year long. And so I really just need it to look like I actually use it. Okay. So I just bring it here, make people think I use it. I might it. not fish there on my go. boat that much, but I do use the boat <laughs> quite a bit. I, I will be forthcoming with that. <laughs> oh man all right well speaking of somebody who has been doing some different things uh we've been talking about emmett he's been on the move he's been traveling he's been doing his thing and uh and he's added a new skill to his many list of skills as a human and so i'm going to okay. give you a chance gary to figure out where in the world is emmett are you ready where in the world is emmett i am ready all right so it's a little bit different but you so there's 2.5 million of these that are going to happen, or or probably at this point a lot of them have already happened in 2022. Um, so it's one of the busiest years for this particular type of event, um, and and Emmett is going to be one of the main people at this event in this photo that I'm going to show you. Uh, he's at a music festival. Nope. I'll give you one more chance. All right. Big event costs lots of money, and it's all about the female. Well, most of the time. All about the female. I think I'm getting set up to answer in a sexist way, <laughs> and I'm not going to take. I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and say I'm drawing a blank. All right, all right, all right. What you got? Emmett is officiating a wedding. There he is. <laughs> Check him out. Uh, I didn't know that that he was a. Uh, then he had his credentials, so he must have paid the thirty-five to sixty-dollar fee online and got fired up. And now look at him get a little side hustle going. He's an efficient man. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind for when Leslie and I renew our vows. Well, maybe I'll get Emmett there. Yeah, Emmett, good job, man. I didn't even know. <laughs> but I don't. I want Emmett on like four beers. I don't want. I don't want Emmett on zero <laughs> beers officiating. I want him on a minimum of four beers. But I better have a maximum too, because I don't want him to exceed a maximum, because that could be yeah. that could be a train wreck. So I'm gonna have to confer with no some Emmett friends to find out the sweet spot for Emmett's <laughs> officiant. Um, no, anyway, no I'm going far enough. No tequila shots, all right. Otherwise, no, it's not till after. We don't want a shirtless officiant. We just want an officiant. <laughs> <laughs> At the reception, he can do whatever he wants, but during the vows up front, no tequila. <laughs> oh man alright Gary well we have brought on a new sponsor we have SRD20 you can go to srd20.com and check out all their awesome products got a couple of them here I'm going to bring up on the screen they've been nice enough to send these over uh, and I think you got some talking points over there you've talked to the owner of the company and they're doing a lot of cool stuff and, and a lot of cool products so for all your boat cleaning needs uh, yeah man I spent quite a bit of time on the phone with them and it seems like like everybody's needs are a little different in the sense that what I talked to him about is my boat doesn't have much gel coat left. It's an older boat and you know, it's just been wearing away. And then the fact that I'm a lazy boat cleaner and clean often with bleach, a bleach wash, you know, maybe once a month or something like that doesn't help my gel coat at all. So that graphene protectant, we're going to try that at the start of next year. I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to do it at the start of next year and you know, actually stay in communication with him because he's eager to see how well it holds up versus wax because I've been told not to even waste my time with wax because I don't have that much gel coat left to hold the wax. So the wax's shelf life on my boat would be very short. 
but this product, the graphene spray, seems to is potentially going to give me more time than wax would on an older boat like mine. You know, I'll talk about it on newer boats and you know other talking points. But that was one that was one of my takeaways after talking with the owner for probably forty minutes on the phone. It was a great conversation. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I, I, you know, kayak, and he told me too. Like some of this product will work on like kayaks and and canoes and different different substrates, cars. So it's not just for your boat, yeah. but for all your other vehicles as well. So I'm gonna put some on my electric scooter, <laughs> see if I can get it shined up real nice, so take off Dork. down the road a little faster, get some aerodynamics. Yeah. So anyway, you guys go check out srd20.com. And, uh, and go see if they got something that, that you need. And then while you're doing that, also go to fishermanspost.com slash members and check out the weekly fishing report that Gary is going to tell you about right now. Yeah, real quick, <laughs> weekly fishing report still going on, and they're inshore only behind a paid wall of very affordable pricing, whether you do it for the year or for the month. We talked to 11 captains from up and down the entire North Carolina coast. So we got every region of the coast covered. And they tell you what's been happening, what they've been seeing, and then they finish with the weekender best play, their best suggestion for the casual angler to put a fish in a boat that weekend. A lot of fun, man. You know, certainly connecting with these guys and hearing them week after week. You hear patterns, you hear trends. And I know just by my position, I am now smarter and more informed just by hosting them. And you would experience the same thing just by checking in, either listening or watching weekly. Yeah. 100% man a lot of good a lot of great content and you know and it's kind of like when people think about reports they're like oh it's just maybe gonna get some highlights of what's been going on but these guys jump in there with a bunch of tips and tricks and I mean it's really it's kind of like a long form podcast like crunched down into five minute segments with each captain which is pretty cool to get you know all those tips mm-hmm. and stuff so anyway go check it out don't take my word for it it's made me a better fisherman I tell you that no, you fish don't photo me, me baby Oh, fish photo. Here we go. Yeah, you're the flounder pounder. Uh, flounder pounder with a fish photo. Here we go. Crystal Babson from Ocean Isle with an amberjack hooked using fish bites. She was fishing 22 miles out of Masonboro Inlet in about 70 feet of water. Uh, good looking fish there. So good job, Crystal. And be sure to send in your photos. Gary personally looks at every one of them and puts them into his photo frame in his office. No, I'm just kidding. Now I'm just talking crap. Man, my my standard is, hey, if you're happy because we ran your photo, it was because of me. If you're unhappy because we didn't run your photo, it was because someone else in the office handled the photos that day. That's my standard, you know, for well over 10 years now. Yeah, it's pretty good, Gary. Pretty good cop out there. It's, it's going to be somebody's yeah. fault, but it's not going to be Gary's. All right. I could so. be a politician. Man, you can't stick anything to me. <laughs> I don't want to get into politics, Gary. That's not going to be good for our ratings. <laughs> no. But I will give you my best takeaway uh, later. I'll let you guys get into talking about fishing a little bit. Yes, Billy's best takeaway. Billy's best takeaway at the conclusion of my conversation with Tony. And now it's my pleasure to introduce the show to Captain Tony Stoll, Finn Finders out of Swansboro. First met him at the Moorhead Fishing School, maintained a relationship, and here he is as a guest. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, how y'all doing out there? Man, Tony, as fond as I already am of you following the Moorhead School, no one gets on this podcast without answering two questions. You tell me you're ready for question number one. I give you question number one. All right, let's do question number one. Let's let's hear it. Question, question number one, Tony. Why should we 
Billy, me, and everyone else out there listen to anything you have to say about an Amberjack? Well, you don't necessarily have to listen to anything I have to say about anything, honestly. Uh, it's not like I'm forcing you guys to or anything. Um, but it is why they do pay me to take them out is to go catch fish and stuff. And AJs or Amberjacks, reef donkeys, if you will, are probably one of the best and my favorite fish to catch. So if you don't have to listen to me at all, but hopefully you do, and hopefully you catch some fish. So, um, I'm a I'm a fan of catching amberjacks, man. I mean, someone's gonna tell me after this podcast airs, someone's gonna say how good they are to eat, and I'm gonna say whatever, cut out the worms, whatever. But aside from that, yeah, man, I I have fun with amberjack. In fact, there's a fisherman. There used to be a fisherman's post tradition. We hired someone new. We took them offshore and made them battle amberjacks while I sort of sort of punched him in the kidneys or gave him like calf shots with the slinger mahi. Yeah, um, that's, but that's... hey, question number two is a non-fishing related question. And I'm going to ask you to use your words, to use your vocabulary. Okay. So like amberjack, a word that ends in the word jack, can you give me one or two other words that end in the word jack and I'm going to give you one example, and you can't use this one, like blackjack. Let's see. So can't use blackjack, right? No. Nope. Uh, I couldn't tell you. Words Words are not exactly my <laughs> So I couldn't tell you. Especially when you're on the camera doing your first podcast. Yeah. Well, you could have come up with carjack or hijack Car or flapjack. Or skipjack, that is the name of a fish. I mean, but I'm not yeah. going to point out that you didn't even know the name of the fish. Or applejack <laughs> or crackerjack or even lumberjack. But enough about non-fishing related questions. People are already fast forwarding to where that you get to talk about fishing. We talked about time of year and water temp. I think you're going to set me up first. And this is the main question everyone has about finding fish. Of course, they want to know how to target them. But help us out, man. Finding fish, you know, both time of year, location, water temp, anything you're willing to share, we're ready to hear. How do you find prime habitat for targeting amberjacks? Yeah, absolutely. So my specialty is definitely near shore. Um, so what I like to do is certain times of year, um, usually the spring and the fall time are probably the best times. Um, if the water temp is, if it's lower than 60 degrees, it's gonna be too cold. And if it's you know 80 degrees and higher and stuff, you're looking at too hot and everything. Um, so you're definitely looking at springtime, fall time and what you're, you're wanting to go for. Um, any kind of structure pretty much holds the fish and stuff too. And uh, if there's one of them down there, there's, there's at least 20 or 30 more down there following them up and everything. Um, so if you can get out there and find the near shore structure and find the right water temp, I think you'll be pretty much okay and you'll be able to get some amberjack for you guys. All right. So 60, within the 60 to 80 window is easy for me to follow, easy for anyone to follow but I certainly want more help on locating prime amberjack territory. So is it yeah. better to do it over wrecks, natural bottoms, live bottoms, like ledges? Like how do, how do the different types of bottom structure rank as far as potentially holding many amberjack? More sad. I, I find that the wrecks tend to hold a little bit more, especially in the near shore. Um, I think it's just because it's a more permanent structure for them to come into. Um, you can find them over, you know, some live bottom and thing like that, but more or less you'll find them trolling, not so much jigging and everything. Um, and they'll definitely 
they'll definitely be there if you can find yourself, like I said, a wreck. Uh, they'll be they'll be sitting on that artificial wreck rather than like the reefs and stuff. Um, I mean, they are reef donkeys, but for near shore, they tend to like that more permanent structure that you know holds a little bit more for them, a little bit more you know food and all that good stuff for them all year round and everything. So, and, so, and when I say, you know, oops, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, man, go ahead and finish. Well, I was gonna say, uh, and what I'm saying, you know, usually like 60 to 80 degrees temperature wise. If you can ideally find 65 to 75, that would be the best time to go and find them and everything. Um, I usually, 68 degrees, I notice that they're really fired up and they're ready to eat pretty much anything you throw at them. Um, so that's the, the temp that I try to look for the most uh, when I go out and look for them and everything. So you're fishing out of Bogue Inlet, I guess, right? Off of Swansboro? And yeah, yes, So sir. what is... What is your water depth that you find ideal to like start looking, you know, start targeting wrecks? And then, I mean, I get it. We can go out as far as need be and we can keep on going. But in your mind, near shore is X amount of miles and X feet deep of water is ideal for what you do. So I would say um, I start finding them probably about 50 foot of water. Um, and then they kind of just go all the way out and stuff like that. I haven't really found them too much inside that 50 foot range. Um, if you're going too shallow and stuff, they don't, they don't tend to really hang out and, and congregate in that area as, as they would in a little bit of deeper water. Um, and you're only looking like for my near shore, you're only looking probably about 20 miles in and everything like that is what they consider near shore. Um, so if you go outside of that 20 mile range, you're pretty much in 60 to 80 foot of water until you get all the way out until, you know, the hundred foot drop kind of thing out there, which is 40 miles off. So, so I can, I can pretty much find them, uh, anywhere within 30 miles in kind of thing. I can, I can find them. So, okay. Um, so is it your experience that the further off you go, the bigger the fish are, or, or is that just like fishing? It Not there's no necessarily pattern. It is what it is. I was going to say, I noticed that early spring and fall time are the best time for big fish that are near shore. Um, whether it be, you know, Spanish or Kings, or I mean, right now there's even uh, false albacore, um, amberjack, bonita, all that kind of stuff, all likes to migrate right into the beach. Um, and even I've even been known to, we last year we caught, a, uh, a bluefin tuna only five miles off the beach and everything at 50 foot of water. Um, so really it just depends on the water temperature and the time of year that you can find these big fish right there on the beach and everything. So for someone who doesn't spend as much time on the water, doesn't, you know, have their spots. I mean, certainly they can go on online and they can find wrecks and they can get GPS coordinates. But for that person who hasn't put in a lot of time and pulls up to a wreck that they just, you know, one of the wrecks that they have either on the card they bought or, you know, looked up online, when they get to that wreck, what can they be looking for on their depth finder, on their machine that might give them promise that this, this may just pay out? I think the fish are here. It'll, you'll, they'll light up the whole entire screen. It'll, it'll pretty much read from wherever the, the bottom fish is, wherever the top fish is, and it'll be almost a stack of fish that sit on top of each other. And that's kind of what all those AJs look like is they're all sitting up in a school and they're all kind of just circling around the wreck and everything and, and just waiting. 
So when you pull up and you, you know, you look at your, your fish finder or whatever you're using and everything, and it looks like a bunch of little nacho chips that are sitting in the, you know, stacked up on top of each other. That's a pretty good sign that you got AJ sitting on top of it. Okay. So they do. I mean, I'm not that fluent in offshore machines and reading marks. I mean, I'm not even fluent at all, actually. I shouldn't even say not that fluent. <laughs> so it's not going to read like bait. It's not going to read like a big mass. It's nope, going to read nope, like nope. a bunch of chips sort of stacked on top of each other from the bottom nope. up, or is there going to be a little break? It, it'll actually be pretty much right on top of each other. Um, so when they get schooled up, especially like on my, my fish finder, um, what it looks like is essentially when you get you know, a big mass of bait, it almost looks like a giant red mass that's all together. But when you're dealing with, you know, AJs or individuals, it'll literally look like, you know, little taco shapes that are stacked all on top like that. And that's kind of, kind of the pattern that you're going to get with, you know, reading your, your Jarman or your GPS or your fish finder and everything. Um, it won't be a giant red mass, but wherever that bottom fish is, whether they're sitting, you know, right on the structure or if they're sitting 10 foot above it, you'll pretty much see them all kind of stacked up on top of each other. So, and it, and it like I said, so it won't be a giant red. Oh, I'm good. It won't be a giant red. It'll be that stack. Okay. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry, there's a little bit of delay. That's why I keep stepping on. I don't mean to step on you. I think we just have a little bit of delay with the Ecamm software. So in your understanding of their behavior, are they more apt to be right on top of the structure, right? or right beside the structure or even a little bit off of the structure. Yeah. Like again, fishing's fishing, anything can happen, but what have you yeah, patterned? Absolutely. I've noticed that it'll either be a little off the structure because they're circling around or it'll be, you know, a little off to the side or right in the beginning of the structure, kind of wherever the drift and the current kind of is, the fish will be kind of stacked up right where that current is kind of pushing all the food and everything. Um, and now, mind you, it's not right on the wreck, but it's going to be a little bit off to the side or, you know, one way or the other, because these fish are just constantly moving around in circles, just picking fish off or doing anything that they're doing. They're just kind of waiting for something to happen and everything like that. So, so it may not be right. necessarily right on the ship, but you'll definitely find them right there, though. Okay. So let's do this, man. Give me, give me a quick on gear as in rod, reel, line, and leader, and then we'll have a more extended conversation about terminal tackle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so what I like to do, um, if it's, if you're dealing with a lot of structure or you're dealing with, you know, you're in deeper water and stuff, if you want a heavier gear, um, I usually have a tiger light with, a Daiwa BG 6500 on it. It's got 65 pound braid with 80 pound fluoro on it. Um, and it's connected with a barrel swivel too. That's pretty important that I like to use the barrel swivel. Um, I know a lot of people like to use the FG knots and all the other knots and everything. Um, but I noticed that the barrel swivel helps from the line getting all binded up and tangled up and stuff. It gives it a little bit more action and a little bit more freedom to go. So when the fish decides to run or fight or anything, you're not really held up with all that. You're, you're letting the fish kind of do its work for you. Um, if you're going to go, you know, medium setup, uh, I have a pen rampage with a spin fisher uh, six on it. That's a 5,500 and it's got 50 pound braid with 60 pound fluoro on it. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's not, if you're dealing with a lot of structure or a lot of like, you know, boats and everything, if you're, if you're down there fishing around, you know, tugboats or anything, uh, 
you'll get broken off really easy. They like to dive down and you'll get broken off. But if you're not dealing with that and you're dealing with kind of open water, then you can deal with a lot lighter of tackle and have a lot funner of a fight to go with it. Um, now, my favorite thing to fight them on is definitely just a, a regular pen pursuit rod with 30 pound braid and 40 pound uh, fluoro. And you kind of just hold on and, and let them go run around and do whatever. And that's that's really fun to do and to fight it like that. Light tackle AJs are one of my favorite, um, especially when they hit top water. That's really cool. Um, but that's okay. that's pretty my my jigging tackle right there that I that I use when I go amberjack fishing. All right, I, I have just a couple of, of follow up questions before we start talking jigs or terminal tackle in general. Um, typical length of the leader that you use? Um, I'll try to do anywhere between, I'd say like five foot is a pretty good four to five foot, uh, just because when they do dive and they like to get somewhere, uh, you want that rub factor. You don't want them to break off, uh, just wherever, whatever's down there and stuff. You want to give yourself a little bit of leader before, you know, them, them ripping you off in the, in the wreck and stuff and, and chasing you away and everything. Um, but I do recommend, um, at least four foot. So four to six foot, if you want. And something that can take a lot of heavy shock because when these fish come in and hit something, they hit like a train and it, it doesn't stop running until it's, it's ready to get caught. So they're pretty fun. Um, so I'm guessing that barrel swivel does not go past the tip though. So whatever leader we have, we stop reeling at the barrel swivel. Yeah. Generally I'll stop uh, at the barrel swivel and then I'll have them walk up and then, then I'll, you know, dip my hand down and, and pick the fish up or you know if somebody really wants to keep and eat them then you can gaff them and put on a shell and stuff but normally it's a catch and release thing because like you I'm, I'm not big into eating worms and, and all that good stuff and i don't want to cut nothing out so i'd rather just you know have fun with the fish and let them go on its way so all right all right so for everyone who wants to tell us that amber jack are good to eat i want you to reach out and tell tony that they're good to eat and not gary at Fisherman's Post, I want you to tell, I want you to make your argument to Tony about how good amberjack are to eat once you cut out the worms. I mean, it just sounds delicious. I, I don't know why I doubt it. It sounds so good just talking about it. I'd say, I mean, spaghetti worms to go with the extra meat. I mean, why not? It, it's kind of like a loving combo right there. So I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, when, once you cut them open and you kind of see the worms, it kind of is an off-putting. And I'm sure, like you said, there's a lot of people out there that are going to tell me otherwise and smoked AJ is really, really good, but... <laughs> I can't, I can't quite look past <laughs> as much as I love the fit. I'm okay. I'm okay on that. So All right, I do have one more leader question before we go to terminal tackle. So when you're absolutely. going from 40 to 60 or, you know, 30, when you're changing that up, that's more just for your fun and more for the habitat. Are you finding that sometimes lighter leader will generate more bites when a heavier leader they'll will amberjack be leader shy? They're not exactly leader shy, but it will all depend on what kind of lure you're using as well. Um, you don't want to use, you know, a heavy, heavy leader with a two ounce jig because it won't give it any action or won't work at all. Um, so it kind of really depends on what you're putting down there. Um, the heavier the leader, I would say you'd probably want to up your jig size just to allow that, you know, that leader to be able to work and, you know, not, not let the lure fall to the leader kind of thing and let the leader not let the lure work um so that that's kind of depends on that and everything so but all right. i would say first leader shy not not at all I, I don't think they're very leader shy fish so they don't seem to be okay so 
to start off, we have slow pitch jigs and we have fast pitch, fast pitch jigs. So I guess what I would ask you is your choice on which one we start with. So you pick one, but tell me like the best application for whether you pick fast or slow, and then we'll go into detail there and then we'll move on to the next one. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll say we definitely can. Um, so I guess what I'll start off with is a slow pitch jig. Um, and that is generally what I will do when I first come up to a wreck. Um, I will just drop something down, whether it be a diamond jig or like normally I'll throw a, a Spanish candy or a big Nick down there. Um, and it's just to kind of test the waters. And what you do is you kind of just slowly leave your lure down there and you're jigging it up and you're jigging it down and you're letting the lure really work through the water column and letting it be present. You want to keep it down there for a pretty long time. Um, and the trick to any kind of jigging is to keep it as vertical as possible as well. Um, you don't, it, it's kind of hard to jig when it's, you know, side to side, or especially if you're slow pitch jigging, that, that really won't work very well for you. Um, but normally, like I said, what I'll do is if I go up to a wreck or a structure or anything, um, you know, I'll take the rod out and I'll, I'll just sit there and bounce. And as you lift up and you let the, the weight of the lure lift up, you kind of reel and as it goes down that's usually when you'll get your strikes too is on the downfall um and when they do hit it on the downfall it is really awesome because as you go to reel up to go jig again you'll notice that you got a fish on and that's usually when it takes off and you got to fight on your hands and everything um if i decide to fast pitch uh, wait, wait, wait. Is, nope. I'm going to cut you off. I want to talk slow pitch yeah. a little bit more before we move yeah, on to fast absolutely. pitch. All right. So I want to make sure I follow. So if I'm on your boat and we pulled up to a wreck, you've seen stuff on the machine that gets you optimistic. You put a slow pitch jig in my hand. The instructions are let it go all the way down to the bottom yep. and then bounce it off the bottom for a while and then start moving it slowly up the water column or or what am i not quite following from that description like what would be the clear instructions if i'm on the bow of your boat getting ready to drop okay cool i can do that then uh so what you do is if i if i give you the rod and put it in your hand and you're ready to go um i'll have you stand up to the bow of the boat or the side of the boat whichever you're feeling comfortable with um you'll drop it all the way down to the bottom and then you'll lift your rod tip up and as you lift up you will reel down the slack of the line out of your rod. And then you'll lift up, let that go all the way down again, and then reel back. And you're just sitting there and reeling the slack out of your line. Um, a little little more easier to show you guys than it is to, to tell you guys and explain it and everything. Um, but what you're really doing is you're allowing that lure to go all the way up and then all the way down. And then you want to reel in. And then you go all the way up, reel, and get all the slack out and then bounce. And you just kind of keep bouncing like that through the water column. Um, if you're throwing it like a diamond jig to slow pitch, that's when you want to let it go all the way down and then kind of just pick your rod tip up and let it go all the way down and then pick your rod tip up all the way down. And then if you're not getting any bites in the bottom, pick it up, reel the slack out and then move it up a little bit through the water column and then move it up through the water column and up through the water column. Um, you're basically just, you know, allowing that fish to, or allowing your, your lure to look like a fish. That's kind of just bouncing off the bottom like that. Um, that, that's generally what that's, that slope. Um, 
I don't know if that was the best explanation, but I can I can definitely keep trying to explain it a little better if you guys want. No, man, I follow that. So it's like, I mean, basically, okay. if I'm lifting up my rod tip, I'm going not with the diamond, but with the first jig you were talking about. It sounds like it's like I let it slow pitch the last four feet from the bottom up four feet. And then when I reel up slack, the next flutter is going to be from four to eight feet off the bottom, roughly. And then I reel up the Absolutely. slack and then the next slow fall is going to be from eight to, you know, just because it's covering the water column. And since it's falling slowly, and I guess it's more thoroughly covering the water column because it's not getting out of there in a hurry. Is that right? Did I understand? That's that's perfect. I'm glad you're a lot better than words than I am. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that right. was definitely you said you mentioned one other thing. I'm sorry. Like I said, we have a delay. I don't mean to cut you off. You mentioned one other thing that I want to follow up on. What is the problematic nature of not being vertical when using a slow pitch jig? So it tends to not have the right kind of fall action. Um, it, it just looks a little odd going through the water and it just looks like a piece of metal that's fallen sideways almost. Um, when you, when you keep it vertical, actually have a jig right here. When you keep it vertical, and this one's a perfect one. It, it actually, it's tapered on one side. And when it goes up, this weight allows it just to flutter down like that. And then you pick it up and it flutters. So if it's sideways and you're trying to jig, you're jigging it like this almost. And it's not really doing what it needs to do. You can fast pitch jig like that, but you can't slow pitch jig like that. Okay. I follow that. And I think that's a yeah. good sway into fast pitch. So what are the conditions? What is the situation where you think fast jig, fast pitch jig is going to be best right now? Let's drop those down. So if I see any kind of bait on the water, uh, on the surface, if I see, like if we're bottom fishing and you see things start coming up and everything, that's generally when I strap on the fast pitch jig and I really start working it and everything. Um, just because I know that there's a lot of bait in the water, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of things that are happening. So what I want to do is put something down there that attracts a lot of attention. Um, the slow pitch jig, it, it does okay with that, but the fast pitch jig, it, what it does is it creates a, a fleeing fish rather than like a wounded fish. It's more of like trying to escape everything, which creates a feeding frenzy and gets everything interested in it. And that's kind of why you would rather... I'd rather fast pitch jig on something like that than slow pitch jig. Okay. I follow that answer. And then I'm going to yeah. give you the same question I gave with the uh, slow pitch. All right. You've put the fast pitch jig in my hand. I'm on the bow of the boat. I'm on the side of the boat. I'm like, Hey, Captain, before I drop it, what do you want me to do with it? And your instructions to me are. So it's almost the similar motion of the up and down, but what you're trying to do is create an oval shape. Um, that way when you're jigging, your tip is never going to go onto itself. And what you do is you bring your tip up and you create an oval shape and you kind of oval it around like that almost. And, um, and what, what that is, is you want to do fast pumps, fast, short pumps as you're retrieving and off the ground and everything. Um, so you allow it to go all the way down at the bottom, count to one, two, and then you just start doing quick pumps as quick as you can to kind of retrieve it off the bottom and everything. Um, and that you're just working that jig pretty much straight up and straight down as quick as you can. So, and those, those generate a bit of a more aggressive bite because the fish is attacking it 
rather than eating it. It's trying to attack whatever is trying to get away from it. Okay. I follow that. So I'm going to ask you a question with fast pitch. And then if you would also do the same thing for slow pitch, and that is, I would love for you to share with our, with our audience, your, you know, one or two of your favorite fast pitch, fast pitch jigs. And I'm talking about size, color, and brand. And then you already mentioned with slow pitch, you mentioned big Nick and blue water candy, but if you'd be a little bit more specific with again, size and color, maybe your top two slow, your top two fast. So I would say probably my, hmm, that's a a hard one right there. I would say my favorite slow pitch is probably the the Spanish Candy Big Nick in uh, silver or pink. Um, And you can get those in the two ounces or the four ounces. Um, But I like using the two ounce, especially when I'm out there slow pitching, just because it falls a little bit slower. It's got a little bit more, a little bit more action to it than the four ounces and everything. Um, and when you upgrade to the four ounces, they actually have an assist hook on it, which is nice. But at the same time, I like the treble hook on the Spanish candy, big Nick, which is that right here, which is in my hand. So, and that's, uh, just a big Nick Spanish right there. Now, when, uh, when I'm also slow pitching a, a bucktail with a curly tail on the end of it is phenomenal for it. Um, that's probably my my other go-to slow pitch jig right there um and it's literally just that setup and it's just a white grub tail on the back of it with a bucktail and these things right here are amazing for catching pretty much anything out there too but aj loved to eat these things um so when i'm doing a little bit more fast pitch that's when i tend to up the size of it into a four ounce jig um, and as you can see, the, like it's the big Nick, he makes a great product, so I can't knock it and stuff. Um, he's got the assist hook on it. And as you see, it's on the front part of the lure. So that way when it's shooting through the water, it's pretty much saying right where the lure needs it to be, or the hook and the lure kind of stay together and stuff. Um, and then you have a Roscoe jig, which is pretty nice too. A lot of people use these, um, and you can fast stick you know, fish fast pitch jig these as well. And this has the assist hook on the back, uh, instead of it being on the the top of it and stuff. And that also too will, you know, help with your hookup and stuff. And a lot of times these single hooks, the single assist with the Kevlar rope, that's usually the way to go too, when you're dealing with a lot of this stuff. Um, you don't really want to skip out on, on light tackle or, or, you know, not very good O rings and stuff like that. You'll lose fish with, with bad hooks and bad O rings. Um, but those are those are the general ones that I use right there when I when I'm out there going to target fish and everything. Um, and when you're near shore, you don't really need anything bigger than a four ounce. Um, when you go deeper out in the water and stuff like that, you know, bigger baits are obviously better and stuff. Uh, but when you're near shore and stuff, four ounce is pretty much the size that I go right there. Um, I don't really need to go much bigger for it and stuff. So something I've noticed. All right. I'm going to um I'm going to move this conversation over to top waters but I'm going to ask one more question just cuz I was curious why on yeah. blue water candy the cyst hook is at the bottom and why on the big nick it's a cyst hook on the top what's the what would be the difference it, it's just the size difference that's all um that's it like one's just a 2 ounce and one's a 4 ounce um so I'm assuming whenever he makes it he just kind of didn't want to put the the hook on the back so that way when it drops down and it's all the way down at the bottom you're not hooking up on the wreck 
So, cause that right there, this will tend to get snagged on a lot of stuff where this one won't. When you go to pick it up, you'll be able to pick it up and it'll go straight up instead of this hook getting stuck on stuff. But why is the blue water candy assist hook on the oh, bottom? Oh, these are, these are both, uh, these are both Spanish, uh, big Nick Spanish candies. Oh. And honestly, like I said, I think it's just the way the Roscoe. Oh, the Roscoe jig. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a good question. I would assume it's because <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. I didn't really notice that before until now. So we started talking about it. I probably should pay attention to things. <laughs> so, my guess, my guess is though that when they built the Roscoe jig and stuff, you see usually the assist hooks on the top. Huh. All right, something I noticed. Oh, look at that. My favorite my favorite jig's got something I learned every day right there. Well, we'll we'll uh, let Blue Water can't. We'll let Jody yeah, chime in on our podcast right. notes, and maybe people will tell us their answer to that question instead of telling us to eat amberjack. Maybe they'll weigh in on assist hook placement instead of how we I should would, cut would, out the worms and smoke amberjack. I would definitely learn to love that myself and stuff. Here I fish with the stuff. I should know it, but dang, I never really noticed it before until now. <laughs> so go figure. Well, well, let's move it because I, I mean. Amberjack fishing is fun and exciting. I mean, I'm I'm on board. I am not a naysayer. And then Absolutely. yes, we are now moving into topwater, which I'm guessing is I'm guessing is your favorite. I, I don't know. But that set is, us up with some success for topwater targeting near shore amberjacks, please. Definitely my favorite way of catching AJs, though. I will 100 percent say that. Um, so if you go up to a spot and there's a bunch of uh, you know, a bunch of bait busts in the water and everything like that and you're throwing stuff and you're not really picking anything up don't be afraid to pick a top water up and throw a top water out there um and i wish i brought one inside with me and stuff uh but generally like i have i have bigger rapalas and stuff that work just the same and they only dive maybe two inches in the water and everything um but if you can get on there with some aj's on top water it's probably the funnest thing to do and light tackle topwater AJs too. Not, you know, go out there with a, a winch and a line and pull them in and, and fight like that. You want those things to, to run and, and pull some drag out and scream, if you will. So and topwater is the best way to do it because generally when you hook up with them on topwater, they're not diving down to the structure. They're diving down, but they're not getting all the way into the structure where they're going to break you off and stuff. Uh, you can generally stop them before they get all the way down there. Um, and when when I say I throw top water no matter what, I throw top water no matter what. Um, if it's kind of, you know, if nothing's really happening and I'm kind of bored, I'm sitting there and everybody's not really pulling any fish up, I will definitely pull out a big whopper plopper or a big Rapala. Uh, I mean, they got so many top waters that make a lot of noise out there that that's what you're looking for. Something to make a lot of noise on the surface of the water to get those fish hyped up and ready to eat and everything. Um, that's, that's generally a good rule of thumb. If, if it's boring and it's slow out there and you're bottom fishing, throw a top water out there and you never know what'll come and hit it and everything. Okay. So I'm going back to my, it's, this is my standard question now for this podcast. You've put a top water rod in my hand. First, I'm going to ask you your favorite top water, including color to tie on. And then I'm going to say, Hey man, I look at you and go, uh, I've thrown top water for red drum, but I've never thrown top water for amberjack. What would you have me do, Captain? 
I would say it's kind of similar, but not really. Because when you throw it out there, you want to make as much noise as you can. So when you're popping, you are really popping that water to move it and everything. Um, so, you know, like the she dogs or the skeeter walks, you know, things like that are, are kind of okay, but you're not, you're not really moving a lot of water with that and stuff. Uh, you're definitely wanting something that disperses a lot of water and makes a lot of noise. Um, so what I would say to you is here where you're on the bow of the boat, you're ready to go. You're all ready to go. Uh, you go cast out and you just start pulling on that thing and chugging it as hard as you can in order to create as much commotion on top of the water as you can and everything. Um, that way, if there's something down there, usually the AJs will come up and take a look at it. Uh, they'll, they'll come up, they'll take a look, they'll get excited and they're going to want to eat it for sure. So, and the more AJs you attract, the more opportunity you have for one of those fish to eat it. Cause they, they don't like to share their food very much. So, so they, uh, they like to eat when they can kind of thing. Man, I think that brings us basically to the end of the scheduled conversation. And I usually, you know, try to end a podcast with saying, you know, some version of, hey, Tony, what have I not set you up with a question to share? You know, anything that you thought you might talk about, but we didn't quite get to it that we can get to it now. And or like any uh, any last tips or tricks or suggestions that you would give so that people go out and actually connect with this target species and enjoy this fishery like you do yeah i would say i would say definitely if you haven't targeted them go out and target aj i know it's not the prize fish that everybody wants to eat and all that other good stuff but they make a great fighting fish uh and if you use light tackle you're not going to have uh, any more fun honestly it's they can range from you know little fish to you know 70 80 pounds and stuff and if you get on a big one you won't forget you'll understand why it's kind of an addiction of mine now so that that's kind of what i would say so maybe the the red stepchild the ugly stepchild uh you know tuna and everything else but it's fun you know it's not mahi and stuff and you can't eat it but it, it reef donkeys are where it's at for me i would say All right. And I'm going to give you one last question to wrap this up. When you're not targeting near shore amberjacks, jig fishing, you know, targeting AJs, what else is Captain Tony doing fin finders? Uh, pretty much everything. Uh, anything that swims in the water, we try to go after. I try to go after it, um, whether it be on the boat or my kayak, uh, whether I'm walking, uh, it doesn't really matter and stuff. Uh, for near shore, especially, you know, for the summertime and stuff, um, a lot of Spanish, a lot of people like going to get Spanish and everything. Um, but in the spring and the fall time, really where it's at, especially the fall time, uh, that's where you can get your, your false albacore, your bonita, your, uh, your bigger Spanish, your kingfish, your pretty much anything out there. I mean, there's grouper. I've, I've jigged up grouper out there. I've jigged up black sea bass. Um, pretty much anything on anything out there swimming in the water and stuff like that, you can pretty much target near shore. Uh, it's definitely an underrated style of fishing, I'd say. Everybody wants to go, you know, a million miles out or they want to go, you know, deep into the marshes and stuff. But right on the beach and stuff, you can catch a lot, a lot of big fish and have a lot of fun. So. All right. T Captain Tony Stoll, Finn Finders, charters out of the Swansboro area. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation of Amberjacks. Glad to reconnect with you, man, and appreciate you making yourself available. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for letting me on the show and everything.
So. All right, Tony, take care. I'm, I'm eager to hear what Billy's best takeaway is going to be. What do you got for me, Billy? All right, he certainly Gary. gave you material. He gave me a ton of material, but I'm a food guy, and I used to love tacos before a diet change. So look for the taco stacks on your on your device, on your machine. That's what I was like. I, was like, All right. I, I know what tacos look like. I'll be staring at that machine like, taco, taco. <laughs> <laughs> so just don't make tacos out of Amber Jacks. It's kind of what I got. Like, look for the taco stacks. Okay. Just because they look like a taco doesn't mean they're going to be good as a taco. So maybe just leave it alone. <laughs> I think you have a good best takeaway. I think you're on point. Good for you. Yeah, man. So great show. Great episode. Appreciate you, Gary. And, um, and, and really just want to say thanks to our sponsors again for making this possible. Marine Warehouse Center, SRD20.com. So you guys go check those guys out. Support them where you can. And remember, Marine Warehouse ships all over the world. So if you see something that you need or want, they can probably put it in a crate and get it to you. So just want to put that little reminder out there. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it thoroughly, Billy. Thank you very much. All right, man. We'll see you in the next one, Gary.